0: We'll open with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. If you're new with us and don't have a Bible, there's one within arm's reach there, and it's the third book in to the Bible. I forget the page and didn't write it down, but shouldn't be too hard to get to. Living rooms. It's not so much like this anymore, but at least when I was younger, living rooms were Well, they weren't exactly for living. I'm not sure why we called them that. They were the rooms for the the chairs you might put the plastic over. Don't want anyone to sit in there. And if they do sit in there, not on the chair, maybe on a plastic covering, it was the room that was always freshly vacuumed or maybe it was vacuumed a long time ago. It's just no one's been in there. Well, in our home, we use all the rooms equally. And if you ever come in and it looks vacuumed, it happened about 30 seconds ago, because <laughs> those vacuum stripes disappear in about as much time as it takes to walk on the carpet after the vacuuming is done. Well, the book of Leviticus, we are standing before the tent of meeting, the tabernacle and the old covenant. God gave Israel instructions to build this tent, and it is, if you will, God's living room it is a place where he intends to dwell among his people but he doesn't concern himself with cleanliness out of a, a stuffiness of character out of some intention to preserve uh, preserve his pride with the perception that he can keep a clean room no there are other things going on here and we're in the middle of a section in this book of leviticus where more than any other chapters in the bible We are concerned with this matter of cleanliness, things clean and unclean. It is a peculiar section, but as we've seen so far in the book of Leviticus, oh, with some attention to it, there's so much here for us in knowing Christ better and fellowshipping with God. So let's read together. We'll be in chapter 12. We're just going to read chapter 12 and a little bit into chapter 13, then we'll talk our way through the rest of chapter 15. Leviticus chapter 12, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation. She shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, a, year, uh, a lamb a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, and he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female, and if she cannot afford a lamb, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and, and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean." The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his son's The priests and the priests shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. If the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days, and the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, it is only an eruption, and and shall wash his clothes and be clean." If the eruption spreads in the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest, and the priest shall look. And if the eruption is spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. And this is God's word for us today. Well, we are in the middle of maybe one of the grossest sections of the Bible, Um, it's only going to get worse, actually. Um, We're going to read some of it. There are definitely some middle school bonus sections here that no middle schooler will want to hear read while he's sitting next to his parents. Um, We'll read them, and I won't preface them at all when we get there, and maybe it'll fly over some of your heads, and that's just fine. This section, we've read just a few paragraphs, and we've got... 12, 13, 14. We have four chapters about scabs, about diseases, about boils, about spots, about diseases in hair, uh, diseases in beards, uh, all kinds of things. We've got emissions, we've got eruptions, we've got blood flow, and all of that. It's a gross section of the Bible. And if you weren't worn out from Leviticus without some help at this point, you're wondering, if this is supposed to be in the Bible, isn't the Bible a clean book? No, it's not always a clean book. It deals with everything, everything that it means to be a human. That's one takeaway this morning. But this section is also, in its own way, beautiful. And I know you weren't expecting me to say it's beautiful, but from a literary perspective, If the substance was gross, then then Moses, in structuring this material, decided to give it to us in a way that was attractive and and elegant, even. So chapter 12 and chapter 15 are in parallel together. And chapters 13 through 14 make a middle section. Uh, Chapters uh, 12 deals with uh, reproductive uncleanness due to reproductive fluid. Uh, chapters 15 has to do with uncleanness owing to reproductive fluid. And then chapters 13 through 14 have to do with uncleanness uh, of disease, like on your, on your body or we'll see uh, in fabric or, or in, in the house. And so as these are bookended with these two sections here and in the middle, there's sort of a nice memorable shape to it. It's called a chiasm. I will prefer the word triangle it moves like a triangle into a, into a point. And so there is some elegance to the way that this is put together. It's also biblical, and that's what we need to say, too. And by biblical, we mean this is God's word. I mean, look here, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying... And then beginning of chapter 13, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying... And then the beginning of 14, the Lord spoke to Moses saying in verse 33 of chapter 14, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, and then the beginning of chapter 15, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Moses and Aaron didn't make this stuff up. Um, It may well be that that some of what's happening here is, is a matter of custom. So ritual laws that are following from or mirroring cultural custom. In some cases, that may be the case. Think about how a man, when he walks into a room, uh, would take off his hat to be respectful. None of you are wearing a hat this morning. Hats aren't it's typical these days, but where did that come from? I mean, who knows? But everyone just knows he should take off his hat. I should take off my hat. And uh, there are customs that are just part of the the grain of culture and life in a particular time and place. And it may be that some of the laws in here come along those lines. The reader understands this is a matter of respect with the hat, uh, but it doesn't really ever get explained to anybody. So in some cases where there's mystery, you know, it may well be that that is going on. But whatever the case, these laws are given by the Lord through Moses and Aaron, To the people of Israel. The people of Israel are a people under authority. They're a people under the rule and leadership of of a king. And so for us even, the Old Testament scriptures aren't just biblical. We need to say they're profitable for us. They're instructive for us. Even if we aren't always sure how that is the case. The New Testament will speak about the Old Testament scriptures being profitable for training us in salvation, to training us to see and to know who Christ is when he comes, to know our need and to know who God is. And and this ch- these chapters are worth all of that. They are, they are profitable. And you get a sense of the the urgency of them by seeing where they are situated. We're starting with chapter twelve today, but really we're continuing on with a section that began in began in chapter 11. In chapter 11, we had food laws. remember foods that were clean and some that were unclean? Well, now we have chapters 12 through 15 dealing with not the things that go in your body like food, but the things that come out of your body like like fluid. This all is important for the life of Israel. And if you look at chapter 16, verse 1, turn there with me briefly. I want to show you something. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now, chapter 16 is the center of the book. Remember, all of Leviticus makes a, makes a triangle. In fact, the first five books of the Bible make a triangle. All of Leviticus makes a triangle. And the point right in the middle is chapter 16. When we get to chapter 16, it begins this way. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death Of the sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. All right, so chapter 16 next week is going to begin on the occasion, the very day of the death of Nadab and Abihu. You'll remember on Good Friday, we heard a sermon from chapter 10 on the death of Nadab and Abihu. The Lord had given instructions to his people for how to get in the tent with him and to be with him. And it involved sacrifices, it involved the priest to offer them. And the Lord came down and he appeared to the people in chapter 9. And then in chapter 10, the very next thing, two of Aaron's sons presume on God's presence and go about approaching him on their own terms. God consumes them like he consumed the burnt offering in chapter 9 to say, I'm here and I'm with you. In chapter 10, he consumed these two kids, these two priests. Uh, As a way of saying, I am here and I am with you. And don't forget, I am God. Well, chapter 16, the Day of Atonement, happens on the same day. Where the instructions are given on the same day. So right between these events, the, 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 the death of Nadab and Abihu and the instructions for the Day of Atonement, we have chapters 11 through 15 which are all about clean and unclean foods and fluids and diseases and such. Turn back with me to chapter 12. We have a beautiful and a biblical and a profitable and an urgent, an urgent section here. It's urgent because it comes immediately after the death of Nadab and Abihu. The stakes are that high right now. God is that serious about meeting with us, and he's that serious about staying God and not compromising his holiness in the process. And so we have all of these instructions so that the tabernacle might be cleansed, might be remain safe for meeting with God and humanity, and as a preparation for that ultimate high point of the book, which comes next week, next week in chapter 16. All of that is to say that this section is, for all of its obscurity, nevertheless, very important for our understanding of what it means to be with God. We'll walk through these chapters, just skipping around through verses from one side to the other. We'll start up close, we'll walk along the ground of the passages, and I'll run some commentary for us, answer some obvious questions, and then we're going to zoom out and consider why God has given Israel these these uh, commands, and then we're going to zoom out even further, big picture, and consider the question of why we don't keep these commandments today. So let's start into it first. What is all this about diseases? And discharges. What is all this about diseases and discharges? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if a woman considers and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days as at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. This whole section here begins with chapter 12, which just chapter 12 itself is not terribly Terribly long. It's not even terribly complicated. We have instructions here in verses 1 5 for what a woman is to do when she has a a baby who's a boy or a baby who's a girl. It's said that she's unclean seven days. If she has a boy, she's unclean 14 days if she has a girl. Regardless of the kind of uh, baby she has, uh, there's a second phase of uh, cleansing that she has after the baby. Is, is born after that period of so many days, initial days. But then in verse 6, we have instructions for purification, which would involve bringing some offerings. So there's, there's three phases. So she has a baby, and she has to go three stages in order to be cleansed, which is to say, in order to be able to come in contact with sacred objects and to be in the presence of God at the tabernacle. In other words, she has a baby, and she's not able to be in the presence of God or even to come in contact with anything associated with the presence of God at the tabernacle. And phase one is either this period of seven to 14 days of uncleanness. And then depending on the gender, either 33 or 66 additional days, or it's total days, I'm not sure. And then final step would be to offer a burnt offering and, and a sin offering. Uh, and then she's ready to go and can be back in God's presence. So So a few questions about this naturally come to mind. Uh, Why would a a woman after giving birth to a child be considered unclean? Is it sinful to have a baby? It kind of seems like it is wrong to have a baby since she has a baby and she can't be in God's presence for a while. Well, simply no, uh, the 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 uncleanness on her part is not owing to the fact that she had a baby. Look with me in verse seven. And he shall the priest offer the offering before the Lord, and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from her flow from the flow of her her blood. It it has to do not with the fact of a child, but with the flow of blood in connection with. Having a child. Hopefully that helps right there enough. There, I'll make a comment on this matter of a sin offering in a section, but that a second, but that's a better translated purification offering. Another question: Why, why the double amount of time if you have a baby girl? And uh, we're not exactly sure. There might be something going on here culturally, similar to that illustration I offered of a man taking off his hat when he comes in, and there being some obvious association. Often enough, um, when we don't understand something in Scripture, we can get understanding through the context and by reading around in the Word of God. Sometimes it was just obvious as day to the original readers, and no explanation was needed. But some suggestions have been made. Does it mean that the girl is therefore devalued, that boys are more valuable than girls? And we need to answer that, no, both are made in the image of God. In fact, as I'll show you here, our best guesses would lend themselves to seeing that women are certainly valuable. If not, there's a special value placed on a girl. Some have suggested maybe there's something about the boy being circumcised, which expedites the uh, The the move to cleanliness here, not sure. Um, Maybe it's that there's more bleeding with the birth of a baby girl. That's not necessarily the case. That was maybe suspected at a time. Uh, It can happen that a baby girl herself bleeds. This is maybe getting a little bit closer so that the time is doubled because you've got two girls involved, both either with flow or the potential of flow. That's probably the best guess. You, you have two girls involved, and so you've got two weeks involved. It's likely just connected to the nature of the female gender. Either way, some indications to, to put you at ease if this, if this thought is a bit offensive, or if you've heard Christianity poked at, or maybe you've poked at Christianity before because of ancient texts like this. Consider this: in Ancient Israel. If you come in contact with a human corpse, a human carcass, you have you're unclean for so much so so much a period of time. So you can't go into the presence of God for a certain period of time. If you come in contact with an animal carcass, well, you're unclean, but not for as long. Which is to say, there is a relationship between the. The amount of time that you're unclean and the preciousness, the sacredness of the thing you touched. I don't think that means girls are more precious, uh, more made in the image of, of God, more human, but they are a special life giving version of humanity, women are. And at least what that illustration does. That is comparing the length of time you're unclean for touching a human carcass versus an animal carcass, as it does away with any idea, which we might assume at first, just reading it in an undisciplined way, that more time means more time away from God's presence in this context means you're, you're worse or punished in some fashion. Something else must be, must be going on here. Well, let's, let's keep on going. Uh, Why a sin offering? You notice in verse 6, she's supposed to bring a a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And you remember the burnt offering is an offering where the entire animal is consumed, representing going going into the presence of God through smoke uh, in the place of the person. So God wants the whole life, but the sin offering was offered with all kinds of blood manipulation and splashing here and putting it here on the horns of the altar. And the purpose of that was to take away sins, to take away sins, the animal punished in our place, but then to purify us from death and the effects of sin because blood represented life. Well, why would, why would she need to offer this sin offering? Well, remember it's better translated uh, purification offering there will be, you'll have to offer a sin offering for a house or other things. Well, houses can't sin, uh, but they can be purified from the effects of sin or or the effects of death on the structure. So that's not what it's, what it's for. In addition, uh, earlier in Leviticus, when we saw the sin offering introduced, it was indicated that the sin offering brought forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins. But there are instances when the sin offering is used, when that's forgiveness is offered in instances when a sin offering is used and forgiveness is not offered. In this case, there's no mention of forgiveness. I take it. This is, this doesn't have to do with sin. Now it could be if it had to do with sin that she's been away from the tabernacle. And so it's covering her sins in that purpose, that time of duration. But I think it's better to see this as purification from the stain of sin on the person in the form of blood, the blood leaving the person and blood representing life. Blood equals life. Blood represents life. And as blood leaves the woman, so it's, it's symbolic in that sense, even though it's in the re- reproductive process, it's symbolic of death. That's our best guess as to what's happening with blood in, uh, leading to un- uncleanness. So there's chapter twelve for you. There's chapter twelve. Good, we're through that part, and we have diseases and such coming. But but at least we're we're through uh, one 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 chapter here of the of the book. Maybe a few applications before we head on though. Now the first one would be, everyone, let's thank the Lord for our mothers. Um, you may not know the woman who gave birth to you. You may know her. She may be alive now. She may not. But We all must thank God for his gift of mothers and his plan for mothers. Uh, It's a dangerous work to have a baby after Genesis 3. There's pain in childbearing. That actually may be some of what's going on here. While childbirth is a giving of life, childbirth was nevertheless, it took you right up to the edge of death. I want to say there was a 40% mortality rate for the children and a higher than you'd want to know mortality rate for moms. To have a baby was to put yourself up against the edge of life and death. So we ought to just thank God for, for moms and what they've gone through to give birth to us. And secondly, maybe a word to moms, give thanks to God for your children. Well, look at here. The mother is supposed to bring a burnt offering. A burnt offering would, be, would come with, it's not always indicated, a grain offering which was like a tribute or a thanks to God. And the burnt offering was an acknowledgement that my whole life is God's. In other words, this burnt offering moment is, it's a commitment, a celebration, an acknowledgement that God is the God of all of life and he's the giver of every good thing. And he's given everything I have to me and I give everything that I have to him. It's his now, the sinner comes and brings up an offering, acknowledging that I don't do that perfectly, but this offering in my place goes up completely to God and perfectly to him. And so the mother, having had a child, comes into God's presence and then brings an offering and says, thank you, Lord. That's a good thing to do as well. Because we don't make babies. I mean, there's things that go on, humanly speaking, that are involved in making babies. But I think it was one of you uh, uh, whose wife is pregnant right now, just how is everything going? Oh, she's just making 200 and some bones right now. She's working on the brain. Uh, This friend always has some scientific insight into what's going on in his wife's belly. And all she knows is that she's really tired and not feeling well. It is amazing what God is doing to knit together. Isn't that beautiful imagery? It's right out of the Bible, to knit together a life in the womb. All life is precious. Some of you have lost life in the womb before a baby was born, some after a baby was born. Oh, we should give God thanks for all life. And especially as babies come to term are born and healthy. A mother in this case comes into God's presence and he has said, offer me a burnt offering. In other words, Come to me and remember that I have given you this life. And God is the rightful one to say, come to me and give thanks because he wants us to know how good he is in giving us all of these things, even our own life. If she makes it through, it's because God has done it. So let's give thanks to God for our moms and moms give thanks to God and remember that God made that baby. It's interesting, Luke chapter 2 we had a mother offer two pigeons to God in very, these very circumstances. Mary and Joseph had a baby. Mary goes to the temple and she brings two pigeons, one for a burnt offering, one for a sin offering after Jesus is born. Well, why did she bring two pigeons? Well, she meets the exception here in verse eight. And if she cannot afford a lamb... Then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. So here Mary obeys this law and she, because she is poor and can't afford the the lamb, she brings two birds instead. Jesus is born under the law. Let's go on to chapter 13. Now, the header in your Bible is going to say laws about leprosy, and I'm not going to fight this too hard. Um, Like when I read it, I'm not going to swap the words out, but leprosy, or as we call it today, Hansen's disease, is not the best translation of that word. Now, the word of God is wholly true and without error, but our translations are based on a whole lot of insight into culture and the times and these kinds of things. And we get better over time at understanding what some of these words refer to. This word here would be better translated skin disease. There seems to be a certain collection of diseases that show up with a, with a kind of a flaky appearance. Well, the reason we say that is it's said to be white. Um, but then when it's all white without exception, the person is indicated to be clean again. And that probably means it's, it's, it's white with flakes and such. And then when all the flakes are gone, it indicates that the skin disease is gone. And so, and so the issue here is a certain, certain collection of skin diseases that may well include leprosy. But when you imagine lepers, even in the New Testament, maybe... A person with some deformities and other diseases, this is not necessarily a one to one with that. Many other common skin issues would would fall under this uh, kind of language here that we read as leprous leprous disease so the, and the terminology is ambiguous and one of the reasons we have to say it 's not leprosy as we understands Hansen's disease today is because of how this leprosy is spoken of. So in in chapter 13 at the head, uh, when a person has on the skin of his body, a swelling or eruption or spot, but then in, in verse 47, when there's a case of leprous disease in a garment, well, that's interesting. So we've got a leprous disease in a garment, but then in chapter 14, Oh, where are we in 14? Here we are in chapter 14, verse 34. Instructions for when you come into the land of Canaan, which I'll give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession. Now, we don't need to think that that's God punishing. I mean, God can do that and does do that in the Old Testament. There's no other indications around here that God is striking people with diseases for reasons. We can read that just as his providential uh, a providential oversight of all things. This is a familiar way to talk about God's dealings in connection with human experience. But the focus here, reason I turned here, is to focus on this matter of a house. I mean, how does a house get leprosy? So this, this language that's being used is, is more of a shorthand for a collection of fungi, diseases, molds, skin issues. This is what Moses, the Lord through him, is dealing with in chapters 13 and chapter 14. The the language is ambiguous, but we have a clear enough sense of what it is. It's really not a problem that we don't know exactly what these things are because this isn't really in the main, and possibly not at all, a matter of public health, if you will. I'm going to say it's partly that. I'm not positive that it's even partly that. The purpose of these laws is focused and limited. We don't have any instruction here, as we might expect, as we get other places concerning how someone is cared for emotionally or how they should process their own disease and and alienation. We have the Psalms for that. There's really no instructions on how someone gets better, only when you know when they are Better, the focus here has to do with ritual cleanliness. That is when you're worthy to be in the presence of God, clean enough to be in His presence. And there's a couple reasons for that, as we'll see, and I'll point some reasons out as we go. Notice the the role of the priests here. Uh, verse three of chapter thirteen. Uh, Verse two, Aaron, the priest or to one of his sons and priests there to bring themselves and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to go deeper than the skin of his body, it's a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. So priests had a number of jobs. They worked the tabernacle. Uh, priests were also teachers. They were, this, they were supposed to instruct in all of this stuff we're reading. But they were also inspectors, not physicians. They were inspectors. They were health inspectors. They'd come to check you out, make sure you're okay or not okay. And they would uh, mark you condemned for a period of time, basically. Um, they were fabric inspectors. They'd check your clothes. and They were house inspectors. They'd come into your house and check on that mold on the wall. Which we see later in these in these verses. So priests had pretty involved uh vocation here. Notice as well the consequences. So look at verses forty-five and forty-six of chapter let's see. Of chapter thirteen. So here's after the instructions. You've got about Seven different instances and specific cases which we will not explore in detail uh, of different types of skin issues and what's going on with the hair on the head and something going on with the beard and all of this. And then you get to verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside, outside the camp. So this is real. I and mean, you could have all your plans for the week laid out. And then you notice you have an appearance on the skin. Everything gets called to a stop. And the priest comes over and examines it. And on a dime, you could be changing your clothes and crying out unclean, unclean, and headed outside the camp to live alone. Now, it could be that family or friends could visit. And if they did so, they would become unclean for a time. And then would have to go through a process of coming back into the camp and being acceptable in the presence of God. But this is a pretty serious matter, even COVID not too far behind us. And some of the processes that we went through and got used to, you know, you're in contact with somebody and you, you, you cough and you take a little test and it says you've got COVID. And you remember this? And uh, sorry, I bring it all back. Um, uh, you know, you quarantine for so many days, um, all of that. It, this would have been a part of normal life for Israelites. But it wasn't a physical contagion. It was, if you will, a spiritual contagion. A symbolic spiritual contagion tied to this physical malady of of visible disease. I think that it may be partly a hygiene thing. uh, Because he has to go out of the camp away from People and has to verbalize unclean, unclean. I could argue well enough that that serves the spiritual purposes of, of the chapter, but it may well be that this was God taking care of his people and helping them get away from each other, as awkward as that was, so that these kinds of things don't, don't spread. But in Numbers chapter 5, verse 3, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read a verse briefly here. We have a little bit of insight. Numbers chapter 5, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge, and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp. Now, listen to this that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. So you see the Lord there is giving the reason. So so why are they sent away? Why why are they unclean? Well, so that they may not defile the camp. In other words, so God God doesn't have to leave. So so the, the, the person has to leave the camp so that God can stay. So they may not defile the camp in the midst of which I dwell. Little insights like that are helpful. And even as I read that verse, you can see how knowing Leviticus will help you read the book of Numbers. In chapter 14, another reason why I'd say that this isn't about health is in chapter 14, we have a whole list of steps for purification. Let me point just a few things out to you here. Let's look at chapter 14 there 's three stages of reentry, so imagine you get off a plane from a country where you were you know, you know they say anyone from this country has to go through these stages of de uh, quarantine and it 'd be like this you 're passing through these stages in verse in verse eight, and so he who is cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that, he may come into the camp. So phase number one is is getting clean in order to come into the camp. You're clean enough to come into the the camp where other people live, but he has to live outside his tent for outside the tent for seven days. He can't go into where the presence of God is. But then after the seventh day, he can. He goes through a little process, and then in verse twenty here, and the priest shall offer a burnt offering. So after some offerings. The priest shall make atonement for him. He shall be clean. So there's three, three stages. Well, stage number one gets you into the camp. I'm back. Uh, but he can't go into the tent. Stage number two, he can go into the presence of God in the tent. And after he's gone through a series of offerings and another stage, he is back in society, basically. He's it's back to normal, back to, back to clean. i clean. point this out because this whole process of reentry, of cleansing happens after he's healed from the disease. So if he's healed from the disease, why this process of cleansing? Because it's not, the accent here is not on the physical contamination, but some kind of spiritual contamination. 14 verse 75. Excuse me, verse 35. There's another argument that this has to do with spiritual contamination and not physical or physical merely, or even physical mainly. So when your house house has a disease, you know, they found some fungus on the wall, and you watch it, you call the priest, freeze, you know, he comes back a day later, watches over time, this thing's expanding. Um, Verse 33, "'Watch for me how the stuff in your house is handled. "'The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, "'When you come into the land of Canaan, "'which I give you for a possession, "'and I put a case of leprous disease in a house "'in the land of your possession,' Then he who owns the house shall come to tell the priest. There seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Uh, then the priest shall command they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease. Okay, why? Lest all of it is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward, the priest goes in to see the house. God's just being nice, basically. If the priest goes in the house and declares the house unclean, all the things in the house are considered unclean with that declaration. So God's saying, listen, go ahead and get your stuff out of the house. Then send the priest in. It's not a loophole. It's God's plan. So God says, you can get all your stuff out of the house. And then the priest goes in. The priest says, ooh, yes, yes, yes. This house is diseased. The house is temporarily condemned. That goes through some cleansing processes. The stuff sitting in the front yard don't have to destroy, all you know the couch and, and your your your, uh, your your silverware and all this stuff. Well, how how does that work exactly? If this has to do with physical contamination due to some mold issue, merely or mainly, then why wouldn't those things need to be destroyed? I mean, if you have black mold, this isn't dealing with that. Uh, you're getting rid of all of your stuff. Well, in this case, you can save your stuff if you get it out first. The point is, God is being gracious with them as it concerns their, their possessions, but the focus is on the house, and once that declaration is made, for, for all intents and purposes, that house is off limits. It's ceremonially, ritually unclean. Well, I think I've made my case strong enough. What's happening here is something spiritual. There's something spiritual, something that the Lord is teaching to us about, about in the invisible things, not the invisible things. Infections, but invisible things. Now, chapter 15. Now, now, chapter 15 is maybe the most embarrassing, but I'm just going to read it. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to people of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his garments, his discharge is unclean, and this is the law. Of his uncleanness for a discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. This appears to be something related to the male organ and something wrong. This is an abnormality. And next we have what would be a normal discharge in verse 16. If a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. And every garment, every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. Now that would be the natural way of things. In verse 19, we've moved from an unnatural emissions of a man to the natural emissions. And now we move to the natural emissions of a woman. When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. Whoever touches her shall be unclean. There's more instructions. And then we move to the unnatural discharge. Verse 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days. There, one of the grossest chapters maybe is itself beautiful. We have a chiasm, unnatural and unnatural, natural and natural with intercourse right there in the middle. All of it makes you unclean. And so what are we to do to this? Is our, our marital relations, is sex bad? No, it's, it's not. Uh, think about this. Uh, I never compared sex to farming before, but uh, farming is good. Uh, farming is natural. Farming is how it's supposed to be. God put plants in the dirt. Plants grow up. Plants make food. We eat the food. If you're going to get the plant uh, to the table, you're going to have to get dirty. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's a physical impurity your, 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 your boots and your clothes are, are dirty on your way into the, your clean house. And so you, you clean yourself if you're into farming. Uh, but the work itself was good. Athletics would be the same thing. Sweaty and dirty and all of that. And yet itself, athletics are good. So, so this athletic engagement of sorts is also good. It's also life-giving. So it's like farming, I suppose, in that way. I'm making things up. Moving Moving on. <laughs> Uh, There's nothing wrong with it, and we don't want to say there's nothing wrong with it. It is good. It's a blessing. Children are a blessing from God, an inheritance to be celebrated. So is this. So there's no connection between this matter of uncleanness and the marital bed. So why then? Why this uncleanness in this case? Well, I think if we ponder what we've been taught in Leviticus so far, but this book gives us a spectrum of, of life on the one hand, which is the holy presence of God, and death on the other hand, which is where we end up. And you have levels of cleanness or levels of life. The cleaner you are ritually, the closer you are to life. And if you're unclean, you're closer to death. What's happening here, I think, is with the loss of fluids, both just in the natural course of things and in the course of intercourse. There's a loss of blood, or a loss of li- loss of blood, which represents life, and there's a loss of life-giving fluid, which represents life. And so God is just teaching them, not that childbearing is bad or these natural processes are bad, but to the extent that the losses of these fluid are symbolic of of life moving out of the body. So they are for a time to be apart from God. It's a teaching thing in that that way. Well, let's move on to the next question here. Why did God require this of Israel? Look at chapter 15, verse 31 with me. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel Separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle. Lest they die. Turn back with me to chapter 10, verse 10. This is right after the death of Nadab and Abihu. Instructions are given, verse 10. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the clean and the unclean. And to teach the people of Israel the statutes. This whole section, chapters 11 through 15, is bookended by the priest. Now listen, you need to distinguish between what is holy, common, clean, and unclean. And on the back side of this whole section, these are the laws concerning cleanness and uncleanness, lest you... Die. What's at stake here? Why would they die? Because they would come in contact with the presence of God, the holy presence of God, God who in his holiness is life in himself. We're from the realm of death. So, why did God require this of Israel? This uncleanness didn't have to do with uncleanness because of physical dirt or some type of disease physically but because of the symbolic association that all of these things made with death. Every time you had a disease on your skin, you weren't thinking, oh, I'll get over it. You weren't thinking it'll, it'll probably go away, hopefully. Oh, it hurts. You were thinking, I belong to the realm of death and God himself is life in himself. And this is a reminder of where I am and who he is and in the way that that was going to change your week and the next weeks of your life all of that would be a reminder to you of who you were and who God is why did he require it of Israel what well, has to do with God teaching us about who he is as life in himself not like us and what it is to be with him and thank God God is life in himself if he were to let any sinner into his presence without forgiveness and without sacrifice and cleansing and all of this, wouldn't that indicate to us that sin can survive in the presence of God? Then what kind of a heaven is there? What kind of a new creation is there? All of this is really good news because guess what? In the new creation, when we're perfectly with God and he's with us and he wipes away our tears and there's no pain and no death, No pain and death and sorrow and sickness is getting in there because through the Lord Jesus Christ, God makes it possible for us to be with him as unclean sinners made clean. Well, this is good news. It's good news that God desires to be with his people. That's one message he was giving to Israel. It's good news that God himself is beautiful in his moral perfections. And he's teaching his people through this experience of disease and the alienation that disease brings. The nature of sin and the alienation that sin brings. Disease is painful. It's progressive. It's ugly. It's alienating. It's contagious even. And so sin is all of those things. And this is why throughout other parts of the Bible, you'll read, create in me a clean heart, cleanse me from my sin. David will pray in these kinds of terms that were given to them in association with physical disease. He'll pick up all of that and talk about his own sin. And we're meant to make that association. God is teaching his people. So these physical maladies and these signs of death that come upon you and come out of you in the form of fluid. So your own heart is sinful and from the realm of death and in need of redemption. It also teaches us in teaching Israel that all of life is the Lord's. So we began in chapter In the early chapters, dealing with the tabernacle and then with the food laws, we're dealing with every meal we eat, we're reminded that God is God of everything and he's holy. And then in all of this, we're reminded where we move from, we move all the way now to to our skin. And then we even move into the marital bed and even our very private parts. It's just worth noting here that the the priest is to inspect all of these things, except, except when you get to that, you're on your honor. Good thing, I guess. Well, there's more to say, but we need to be moving on. In chapter 9, God appeared. In chapter 10, he judged his people. And the question that we have that's on our minds is, how good can this actually get? Because he appeared, but he appeared in his tent, and we're outside the tent He's judged his people. The stakes are very high. How, how good can, can, can we get all the way in with God in a way that is perfect and freeing and, and like Eden after all? And so I raise this last question. Why not require this of us anymore? And why don't we do this stuff any, anymore? Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Here in the book of Matthew... Jesus has been announced as the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God. He's been teaching. This little scene comes immediately after the sermon on the mount. In a place where he said, holiness allows us to see God. And now verse 8, chapter 8. The first miracle Matthew records for us. When he came down from the mountain... Teaching, great crowds followed him and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Well, just think about that. Who has any leper or person with a skin disease been able to say that to? The law instructed them as to where to go when they found out they were unclean because they have a skin disease. It didn't instruct them as to who to go to to clean them. They're to call a priest. And they're to call a priest, not because the priest has some answer to their skin disease. The priest is going to help them to know they shouldn't go in the presence of God with that skin disease. But here, this leper has understood Jesus to be teaching, has heard about this man. He knows something is up here. This man is teaching with authority and not with authority as has the scribes and the Pharisees. Something different is about this man. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He calls him Lord. This is a statement that is confident. Then Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, Quote, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Here was a man who knew he was sick. And that's where it starts for you and me too. Confronted with the word of God to come to terms with the truth that we are sick, that we are unclean. And not just because we have disease, but that our physical failings and the physical trouble that we have is symbolic of the spiritual trouble that we have. You and I are born unclean, unworthy of the presence of God. Here's a man who knows who he is. And here is a man who knows who can make him clean. The Lord Jesus can make him clean. Knows a man who can reverse the effects of his uncleanness. That's exactly what this is. The tabernacle would be defiled as an unclean person came in contact with the tabernacle. It would become unclean and unfit for the presence of God. But here, the one who is God himself comes down and he cleanses those with whom he comes in contact. If Jesus touches you, you're clean. He reverses the effects of sin and of death and this man knows it. And so Moses comes with a word in the law that you are unclean. But Jesus comes with a word. If you come to him by faith, you are clean. Moses comes to give a law to reveal that you are unclean. Jesus comes and keeps it perfectly. His mother kept it in going to the temple, and Jesus keeps it. He tells them to go to the priest and make an offering as a proof that they're clean. He's keeping the law. He doesn't doesn't remove the law. He keeps it. Well, what does he do then? What changes? He removes the problem that gave rise to the law in the first place. He makes the man clean so that he no longer has to keep the law for those that are unclean. He fulfills it entirely. Moses reveals our need for life. Moses' law tells us we're dead. But Jesus reverses the spread of death. And Adam all die. And it is through Jesus Christ and through faith in him that we may be made alive. Isaiah 53, you don't need to turn there with me, but do listen. I want you to read you some familiar verses and maybe you'll hear them anew. Isaiah 53 tells us that one will come who will bear our griefs and carry our sorrows and yet we esteemed him stricken. A word that occurs over and again in a concentrated form in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. Verses 8 through 9 of Isaiah 53. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living. Stricken. Do you hear it now? He's stricken as with the disease for us. Been cut off from the land of the living. Put out. Stricken for the transgression of my people. Now you see how these laws of disease were teaching them about the disease of their Of their soul. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him as he was put to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt, a guilt offering. (laughs) Leviticus teaches us about those. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make the many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. This is the Lord Jesus who bears our griefs and our sorrows and was stricken and afflicted for us. And so Jesus comes, he heals blind men and he heals paralytics. But when it comes to the leper, it says he cleanses them. And so too, with you and me, Jesus brings healing and cleansing. Oh, he does it in his time. The church's mission and and Jesus' work in this age is not to heal us of all of our diseases and to remove all of our skin boils. Wouldn't that be nice? But one day when Jesus comes back, when we are with him in his presence, if we die first, all of your diseases will be gone All of your ailments and physical disabilities will be healed. All of your afflictions, all of those ways in which you are unclean, not just because of these outward things or what comes out of you, but because of your own sin and the things that you've done and the thoughts that you've thought throughout your whole life, you'll be cleansed of all of those things. And Jesus' blood does this. Jesus' blood represents his death for you to take away sins so that you would be forgiven. And also his blood offered as life to purify you forever from death. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this run of difficult material, and for your wisdom to give us an hour a week together to hear your word and to set apart some to study it, to teach us, so that we might know our need, so that we might know the one for whom we were made, so that we might know that you are holy and we are unclean. So that we might know that apart from your initiative and your work and your plan and your son, that we would never have any hope of being with you, but you cleanse us father and you make us new and you make us acceptable to you because Jesus has borne our griefs and he was afflicted and he was stricken for us, our guilt offering the righteous one in whom we are accounted righteous and clean forever.